Jesus described living the Holy Spirit life as a life that receives and gives. It's a life that flows like a river. In fact, Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. And then the scripture actually gives us a commentary on what he meant by that. It goes on in John chapter 7, verse 39, says, By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So the starting point for Holy Spirit living is having the indwelling of Christ's Holy Spirit in your life. And what I'd like to do right now is for us to focus on the teaching of Jesus that's recorded in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. And we're going to break that down just a little bit uh, as Jesus is talking about this concept of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every single person's life as a follower of Jesus, as a believer. So Jesus says this, uh, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So let's pay attention to what Jesus is saying there. He had taught them earlier in the scriptures, it's recorded, where he referred to himself as, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's calling the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. So Jesus has said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and now he's referring to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Jesus is equating himself with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit with himself. There are many times in the teachings of Jesus where he equated himself with God the Father, even though he is his son through the, the human birth, through Mary, into the world, but again, this mystery of the triune nature of God. One God existing eternally and yet as three persons in one. And I know it's hard for us to wrap our minds uh, around that fully, but that's what the scripture teaches, not only from Old Testament, but right into the New Testament times. And Jesus continued that teaching. So this is what Jesus said about the spirit of truth. And again, think of this now, equating it with himself, because he says this in verse 17. He says, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now think about it. When Jesus spoke this to them, he was dwelling with them. Bodily, he was there. Obviously, he wasn't in them because his Holy Spirit was in himself and his spirit was emanating and people were receiving the power of the spirit. But as far as Christ and his Holy Spirit indwelling, that hadn't happened yet. So he's giving them a glimpse of saying, right now, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is dwelling with you, but will be in you. And so later on, as we continue to read the scriptures, we know that uh, after Jesus ascended into heaven and then he sent the promise that he had given them as Holy Spirit, his spirit did indwell their spirit. So he not only dwelt with them, but now he could dwell in them. Jesus makes it even more clear when he puts it this way. I will not leave you as orphans, or as some translations say, I will not leave you comfortless 
I will come to you. So here again, he's equating his Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth with himself by saying, I'm going to ascend into heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone or comfortless or empty. I will come to you. In fact, that word in the original Greek text uh, of, uh, that's translated into some uh, English translations as orphans or I will not leave you comfortless, it literally means uh, to be bereft of a teacher or without a teacher, a guide, a guardian, or in other words, orphaned. And it obviously is the same connotation of being orphaned from having a parental figure or again, a guardian or a guide. It's interesting because this is also the way that this passage describes Christ's Holy Spirit. He is a comforter. He's a guide. He's our counselor. There are so many roles that Christ's Holy Spirit uh, fills within our lives. So here's the big idea that I want you to get today. Holy Spirit living involves focusing on your relationship with Jesus Christ in your daily life. That's this whole big idea. You cannot say that you're living a Holy Spirit life if you're not focusing on your relationship with Jesus. Jesus emphasized that Holy Spirit living is centered around a connection with his word. Notice what he says there at the very beginning of this passage that we're looking at in John 14, uh, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again, that word keep that is mentioned there in the scriptures in the original Greek language as it was written and then translated into English and the other uh, languages, the word keep in that original Greek language literally means to guard, to hold fast. In other words, to keep practicing and obeying, teaching by example the way that Jesus showed them to live the life, but then also we're guarding it and making sure that we're passing his word on to others. That's why we still have the written word of God today because Christ's Holy Spirit has helped those who have watched over his word and recorded it and handed it from generation to generation to generation. God is true to his promises. You can trust the word of God. Holy Spirit living involves listening and learning and doing. We listen and we learn from Jesus' teaching, but then we love him enough to actually do what he tells us to do. Now, here's the thing. Jesus told his disciples then after he made that clear that Holy Spirit living is connected really deeply with his word and his teaching, but then he said this, he said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper who is going to stay with you forever. He wanted to reassure them that though he would be going back to heaven bodily, he would not leave them empty or helpless. And so let's take a look at that in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I will ask the Father and maybe he'll give you another helper. Jesus said it's, this is a sure thing. This is a promise that will be kept regardless. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now, when we hear the word another, maybe you think of something like different. Uh, but actually what he meant there was another one of the same kind. Uh, it may be a silly example, but last weekend, my wife Julie made a blackberry pie from scratch. It was really good. I ate a piece of it. It was delicious. Uh, then I ate another piece of pie. It wasn't a piece of another pie. <laughs> it was another piece of the same pie. 
And this is the connotation, the idea behind what Jesus was talking about another helper, one like unto himself, another piece, so to speak, of the triune nature of God. Oh yeah, and as far as the pie goes, there was enough to go around for everybody that wanted it. And that's the way it is with Christ's Holy Spirit. As we receive the blessing of having the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and the filling of his Holy Spirit, there's enough that we can share to other people. We don't have to hold it all inside and keep it to ourselves. You don't lose anything by sharing the Spirit of Christ. As, as Jesus said in the beginning, if you believe in him and you trust him, his Holy Spirit will indwell you and your life then becomes like a river. Out of your inmost being will flow rivers or streams of living water. It's got movement, it flows. And it's just gonna keep on coming. As you give, you keep on receiving. It's a beautiful thing. Now let's take a look at another portion of that scripture there, that word helper. It's translated in the English Standard Version and a few others uh, as helper. But that actual, again, the Greek word in the original text that was written uh, is parakletos. And I know, I know, it's a, it's a foreign word to us. But that word in the Greek has these different connotations. It can mean a person who is called to one side for help. So again, a helper. It, is, it can also be interpreted like in a legal term, one who pleads another's case before a judge. So literally, that's where we get the term advocate from. It's like a defense attorney. So it's kind of cool when you think about all the different ways that Christ's Holy Spirit is described as being this helper in our life. He absolutely helps us uh, through different situations in life as far as our standing with God because he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty with his perfect sinless life to a holy and righteous God that we're not able to pay. He paid that debt for us and then he offers that as, as a gift to us that we can receive forgiveness and know that then we're in right standing with God the Father in all of his holiness and righteousness and all of our sinfulness, we can have confidence to know, hey, thank you, Jesus. You paid that price for me. You were my defense attorney. You paid the fine, so to speak, that I could never pay. And because of that, now I am set free to serve God and to worship and to not have to live in fear and guilt. Um, a lot of wonderful teaching out of that. So he is our advocate, our, our legal assistant. Uh, he's also our intercessor. And, and, uh, and in that sense, he is a comforter. He brings us comfort because he brings us reassurance and he guides us through the difficult times of life. And that's where this idea of counselor comes in. There, this is an awesome concept, and that's why I want us to think about that today. And I want you to understand that though Jesus has bodily ascended back up into heaven, he's given the promise of his Holy Spirit, which I talked about a little bit earlier, and you saw it in the video. He told his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Again, he wants to make sure we're obeying, and, and they obeyed. And then he sent his Holy Spirit in power to fill them and dwell them and empower them to spread his gospel. And that was a miraculous thing. And that was initiating in the phase now that God wants all of us to see that our life can be open to his Holy Spirit in dwelling and filling. And he can use each of us in ways that we never imagined to accomplish his will on the earth and to give him glory and praise. Here's a few aspects that we're going to look at today and how the Holy Spirit helps us so that you can begin to recognize what Holy Spirit living means in, in your life and in my life, in our life together. 
And one of the ways that Holy Spirit helps us is in our prayer life. He helps us pray. He helps in our communication and prayer to God. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for. And I think there's a connotation there, like sometimes we go through situations in life. And I'm sure if I asked people to raise their hands right now or to say amen, you'd be saying amen and raising your hand. Have you ever been at a time in your life where you're in a situation in a circumstance and you just felt like, I don't even know what to pray for right now. I mean, my heart is just crying out to God. I know I've been in that place many, many times. Well, here's how the helper, the counselor, Christ's Holy Spirit helps us. For sometimes we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That means like stepping in like a mediator between us and the one we're trying to communicate to, which is God. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now, this is an amazing thing. But again, God wants to be intimately connected to your soul, your spirit, and he is through his spirit. And so sometimes when in your mind or in your mouth, you feel like you're not even saying the right things or you're not sure you're saying the right things, but in your heart, you know what you wanna say as best as you can, or maybe you're not even sure. If you're trusting in Christ and you're understanding that you have a helper in your prayer life, then it gives you confidence to know that that he's not looking for a gotcha moment in your prayer life to where, well, you know, you said that. I know you didn't really mean it, but you said it, so I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna do what you asked for, even though I know you didn't mean to ask for that. God doesn't work that way. God does not work that way. Now, sometimes we'll ask for stuff and we really have the intent that we want this stuff and our heart's not right, and so God will say, well, that's what you asked for and you really meant it and you wanted it, so I'm gonna teach you something here. I'm gonna give you what you want so that you can see that sometimes what you want is not always what's best for you. But the point is this, overall, again, God knows your heart, the Holy Spirit indwelling in your life. You can have confidence to know that when you're praying with the right attitude and, and just being honest with God to say, Lord, you know me right now, I'm struggling even in my prayer life, but I, I need you in my life or I need you to help me in this circumstance. I need you to show me the next step I need to take or in this decision I need to make it so important and so vital. Lord, please help me guide me. And then look at what it says in Romans 8, 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. And here's the important part, in accordance with God's will. God wants to work his will in your life and my life, and he wants us to cooperate with that will. And his will is always best for us. Sometimes it's not always pleasant for a time, but it's ultimately for our good if we'll learn to trust him. It's why that scripture says in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, I believe it is, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This is talking about learning to live the Holy Spirit life, Holy Spirit living. Now, another thing that Christ's Holy Spirit does as he indwells us, he guides us in our spiritual understanding. A little bit further on in John chapter 14, as Jesus is talking with his disciples and having this conversation about the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, he says this, these things I've spoken to you uh, while being present with you but the helper, and here again, there's that Greek word paraclete or parakletos, the comforter, the counselor, the advocate, the helper, and then it even says the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Now, this is really cool. This is key. Because I've wondered sometimes when the Gospels were written, those that walked with Jesus, I'm sure he preached the same message over and over. So like they had it down. Sometimes I think that we get in our mind that Jesus walked around and he had a different sermon every day or every week. No, Jesus had some main things that he wanted to communicate to people and he repeated those things often because he wanted them to get it. He wanted them to remember. And so in a lot of those messages, we see this consistency of what he taught. And each disciple, each apostle maybe heard it in a different way, but they got the overall message. And that's what we have in the Gospels that are written for us today. But sometimes I've, I've thought, well, how did they remember exactly kind of the very words that Jesus spoke? Well, this is how the Holy Spirit, this is one of the miracles and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, when the Holy Spirit indwells you and empowers you, this was spoken to those first generation apostles. I'm going to bring to remembrance, Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance those very things that I said to you. So this is how we have the words of Jesus recorded and written for us today, which is what we're looking at right now. So the Holy Spirit guides his disciples and apostles who spent time with Jesus and learned from him to be able to remember those, those very words. But then the apostle Peter later He's writing about this concept, and it's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. So again, this is a letter that Peter is writing. Now, remember, this is after Christ has ascended, Holy Spirit has come. Peter was one of the main ones that received the filling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He went out on the day of Pentecost into those streets and began to tell people about Jesus, and everybody heard in those different languages. Listen to what Peter writes about this concept of how the Holy Spirit guides us in, in, in his words and in his teaching. So he says this, above all, you must understand that the prophecy of scripture came about, not about by the prophet's own interpretation of those things. For prophecy never had its understanding in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, with the Bible here on the table, I'm going to pick this Bible up and I'm going to lay it down here on the stand. I've carried that Bible along. I'm going to pick the Bible up now and I'm going to carry it along and place it back here. This is kind of the connotation of the Holy Spirit moving in the spirits of the individual personalities and things of the people and yet he was moving them to say exactly what he wanted said. So we can trust the scriptures, the principles that it teaches, and we can look for the consistency uh, in the scriptures because God confirms his word. There are a lot of people that will take scripture out of context and they'll twist it. Uh, I spoke a message a while back how Satan did that when he was tempting Jesus. He took the words of God and tried to twist it to make it say what he wanted. But Jesus always was able to come back with the word of God and saying, no, no, you've got it wrong, Satan. You're twisting it because it is also written. And then he would give the backup scripture. God watches over his word and his Holy Spirit watches over his word to help us have the right interpretation of scripture and application. And that's why Jesus, again, in this teaching a little bit later in John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, he writes this, or he says this, and it's written, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me, and he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, this is a key. How do you know the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life, or how do you know it's the Holy Spirit at work? Jesus says the Holy Spirit is always going to glorify me. He's going to take of mine, and he's going to give it unto you. Because again, Christ and his Holy Spirit are one, just as Christ and the Father are one. And so it's not going to contradict. There's a lot of voices out there trying to get our attention. So how do we know what to believe? Well, here's one of those ways to know. The Holy Spirit always focuses and glorifies Jesus Christ. And so should we. If we're going to learn how to live the Holy Spirit life and do Holy Spirit living, we need to make sure that Christ is central in our life, that we want to live to give him glory, we want to speak to give him glory, we allow him and the thoughts of him and his word to fill our mind, our heart, and that's what helps us to continue to grow and cooperate in the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our life so that we can be filled. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Here's, so here's one of the tests. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Okay, whoa, wait a second, what? <laughs> this was written by the apostle John centuries ago. And he said the spirit of Antichrist was in the world then. We know certainly the spirit of Antichrist is still in the world today. And this is one, again, of the mysteries of, of God and his great patience with humanity because I'm sure if it were us and everything that we've done to offend God, if we were in God's place, probably we would have all said, hey, I'm done with this. But God is so patient with us, not wanting any of us to, to perish, but to come to repentance. And so we see generation after generation, century after century, he has allowed the spirit of Antichrist to work, but in the midst of that, because he's more powerful, he speaks his word through his spirit, his truth, and he's looking for those of us who will open our spirit to him and not the spirit of Antichrist and that we will choose to be filled with the spirit of Christ and that we will honor him and glorify him even in the midst of opposition. This is part of the sovereignty of God. It's something I don't think we'll ever fully grasp. But you and I have a responsibility even in the midst of God's sovereignty. He's sovereign, but we still have a responsibility in how we respond to that sovereignty. We can fight against it, or we can try to ignore it, or we can receive it and say, God, I want to cooperate with you. You are God of my life. In fact, the Apostle John writes there in 1 John 4, verse 4, he says, You, dear children, are for, from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, talking about the Holy Spirit's indwelling, Christ's Spirit dwelling in you, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. 
So as followers of Jesus, we don't have to walk in fear of Antichrist, but we have to be aware. And again, I brought a message a while back talking about that. The, the scripture warns us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He prowls around. We need to be on guard. We need to be on watch. We need to be filled with Christ's spirit so that we can recognize when the spirit of Antichrist is working. And he is working, I think, even more now because I do believe we're closer today than we ever have been in the past of Christ's return and uh, the things that we read about in Revelation. We're just seeing more and more things in the world and the connectiveness and the technology. Hey, the technology is good. Technology is just a medium. But we also know, though it's not mentioned specifically, there are things we read about in Revelation where we can see very clearly Antichrist is going to use technology as a way uh, to cause people to conform to uh, his desires. And so we've got to be on guard against that. Make sure that we're using technology wisely and again, being filled with the spirit and allowing his spirit to guide us into truth. So again, not to uh, cause you any fear or, or scare in this, but again, trust in Holy Spirit's guidance. He is the spirit of truth, so be open to him. And remember, it has to be this Holy Spirit indwelling and living the Holy Spirit life is absolutely in connection with God's written word and the words and teaching of Christ. So if you're not staying in the, the word of God, if you're not reading or listening continually to the New Testament and to teachings about Christ and learning from the Old Testament how Christ fulfilled all those things, the point is this, if you're not doing that, then you're kind of fooling yourself if, you're, if you think you're somehow living a Holy Spirit life. Holy Spirit living is deeply connected to the words and the teaching of Christ. Now listen to what the, and that's why I'm giving you a lot of scriptures today in this message. Now listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, again, the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I, I love that. Because we learn in the gospel message that Christ died on the cross for our sins. And he conquered death on the third day. He rose from the grave. It is offered as a free gift to us. The Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Other world religions teach about all these things you have to do and you have to follow and you have to achieve some standard to be worthy to get into heaven. And definitely we do need to be worthy to get into heaven. Jesus even taught that. But the way that we're worthy is by repenting, humbling ourselves before Jesus, confessing that we're sinners, asking him for forgiveness, receiving the gift of his grace and the cleansing of the blood of Christ, being grateful for that, and then asking him to fill us with the spirit. That's what makes us worthy. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Guidelines are good, rules are good, do's and don'ts can be good for society and for our home life, but that's not what gets us into heaven. Jesus says, you must believe in me. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he was not only talking about our bodies, he was talking about our spirit inside. So anyway, the Apostle Paul, I love the way he words this because he says, we have Christ's spirit now in us so that we might know the things that we've been freely given by God, his forgiveness his grace, his Holy Spirit that we can operate under, that we can get through the difficulties of life. And then he goes on in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 2, and he says this, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. 
I prayed as I was preparing for this message. I prayed last night and again this morning and right before I began to speak to you now and I prayed and I said, Lord Jesus, fill me with your spirit, guide me in your truth, help me to speak your truth today that I'll do what this passage says, teaching uh, spiritual things in the right way so that we might compare spiritual with spiritual. Now look at what verse 14, and I'm not a perfect person, by the way. You all know that. You can ask Julie. <laughs> She'll tell you. She'll confirm it. My kids will confirm it. But the point is this. He can use imperfect people to accomplish his will when you're doing Holy Spirit living. And I'm not saying I do it perfectly all the time, but I'm growing and I'm learning and I want to. It's a desire in my heart. Look over at what verse 14 says. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That's why you still see a lot of people in the world when they read the Bible and they read about the miracles, they try to dismiss them. When they read about God's creation, they try to explain another way that we got here without God. And you've heard me talk about this often. It's amazing the more we study and learn about science, to me as I, again, if you're spiritually filled and spiritually discerning, there are many scientific theories that actually are showing that there's no way this universe got here on its own by itself. And that's a whole other message, a series of messages for another day. But the point is this. If you have the spirit of Christ in your life, it's like you know this inside because God as creator has revealed it to you. But the natural man or woman and the people that don't believe in God or don't accept the things of God, it's all foolishness to them. Right now, the very things that I'm saying to you, if there's anybody of the natural person that might happen to be flipping uh, through uh, web channels and they're hearing me speak these words, they would immediately just think that's ridiculous and they would move on and go to their next website or search. That's the way the world is. But it doesn't stop us from continuing to present the truth to people. So Jesus even said in John chapter three when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. So, you know, much less, how can you enter the kingdom of God? It's a spiritual thing that needs to happen in your life. You need to open your life to Christ and allow his spirit to transform you, to give you a new spirit, a new worldview, and he'll do that. It's a mystical thing. I cannot describe it, but it's a promise that Christ gave. Believe in him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the, that the world through him might be saved. So Holy Spirit living focuses on developing the Christ-like character that he has placed within you. If you truly meant it, whether, no matter what age you were, whether you were young or whether it was more recently, if you truly meant it when you prayed and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you believed that he died on the cross for you and rose again and you invited his spirit to come into your life, you know, we, we say, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And I say this often, I, I'm smiling now, because if you think about it literally, obviously Jesus doesn't come out of heaven bodily and jump inside your heart physically. That doesn't work that way. But again, if you understand this teaching about Christ equating himself with the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's what we mean. That's what Jesus meant. So when you ask Christ to come into your heart, what we're saying is you're opening your life to his Holy Spirit to come in to forgive you, to take up residence, to begin to guide and direct, and then you're willing to cooperate with him. You gotta begin to learn to let go of things and again, be connected to Christ's teaching and his spirit and learn to follow it. When you open your life to Christ and his spirit comes in, 
there is Christ-like character now that is foundational that's put in there, but you and I have to learn to cooperate with it. The Apostle Paul writes about this a lot, but he says something here that he writes that's really crucial, and it's kind of jarring. So let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 uh, through 10. He writes and he says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mindset on what the nature desi- that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Now again, it doesn't mean that you go through your whole life and everything's great, but what it means in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of difficulty, you have a worldview and something different than the rest of the world doesn't have. And that gives you a peace that the world cannot give. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives that do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When you have Christ's Holy Spirit in your life, even in those times of anxiousness and worry and concern, you can pray and, and cry out to God and his spirit will, will help you through that time. He'll hold on to you on those times when you feel like you can't hold on to him. Then the Apostle Paul goes on there in Romans chapter 8 and he writes this, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Wow, okay, stop and think about that a minute. And then he goes on and he says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now here's the jarring part. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he or she does not belong to Christ. I mean, that, that stops me dead in my tracks right there. It's like, whoa, wow. Okay, Lord, I wanna make sure that you're in my life. I wanna make sure I got your spirit in my life. Cause this is telling me if I don't have your spirit in my life, then I don't have you. See how often the scripture confirms itself. Christ and his spirit and God the Father are one in this triune uh, creator being that it wants to be intimately connected with us. He's not playing games. And so when you open your life sincerely to him and ask his spirit to come in, then you have Christ. The scripture says, he that has the son has life. He that does not have the son does not have life. So this is really a kind of gut check time. It's a time for us to take a look at our own life and say, Lord, I wanna know, I need to know for sure, uh, am I saved? And again, Christ gives us his word to reassure us many ways how we can know that we are saved. Anyway, he goes on and he says, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And here again, this carries on because some people say, well, if I'm saved and, and if Jesus said, um, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, well, then why do people still die if they have Christ's Holy Spirit in them? Well, again, our body still is under uh, that, um, the consequences of sin and, and the natural effect of sin, which is death and decay. But God, again, has given us a promise that one day we're gonna be given a new body. In the meantime, our spirit's alive, and when, we, when our physical body dies, our spirit goes directly into the presence of God, and again, this is all these mysteries that we don't fully understand. Here's what I want you to understand about that. In the same way that Jesus told those first disciples, I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my spirit, and they did that, and they went into hiding, and they had to wait. Well, Jesus was too true to his promise, and it came later. 
that principle is still true today. We're waiting on some of the promises that God's giving us about the resurrection, about all of these things in our own life, our own body. That doesn't negate the promise. We need to trust him and work while we wait serving the Lord. So just to close today, um, here's a couple of verses I wanna go over real quickly. How can we develop that Christ-like character within us? Well, in Ephesians chapter four, verses 29 through 32, the Apostle Paul says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It doesn't say you have to be flowery and compliment people all the time because sometimes their need is to be corrected. And so sometimes you need to have tough love and you need to speak to them, but you're doing it in a way that's to build them up and to benefit them. And that's what it says here, that it may benefit those who listen. Now look at what it says in Ephesians chapter four in this next verse, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. You can be saved, and when you're sinning and disobeying God, it grieves his Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave you, but it grieves him. And so the scripture says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. One more, and I'm gonna close with this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one renders evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. You see, it's okay to take care of yourself, but don't just be selfish and do it only about yourself. Do things that are not only gonna be a blessing to you and benefit you, but can also bless others. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, always have an attitude of prayer, be ready to pray in any circumstance, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, here again, we can have the spirit in our life, but if we're not cooperating, then sometimes we can grieve or quench the spirit, and he's not gonna work through us in the way that if we would cooperate with him. Don't despise prophecies, test all things, Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So much that we're gonna be covering over these next few weeks as we look about all the different things it means to live a spirit-filled life and to know that we are part of Holy Spirit living. So I hope you'll continue to listen to the messages each week, continue to stay in the word of God, and let's grow together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the ways that you have guided me and my family in our lives over these many years. Thank you that right now as I pray, your Holy Spirit is in every home and every heart and life of those who have trusted you. And Lord, in whatever circumstance they are in now, I pray that you use this message today and some of the points of it or the principles to speak as only you can. Because I know, Lord, you cause different people to get different things out of the same message. Just as when the apostles were filled with the Spirit and they were preaching your word in the streets of Jerusalem on Pentecost and people were hearing it in their own languages. Lord, you still speak that way today in our own circumstances and needs so that we're hearing what we need to hear. Help us, Lord, to receive you as Savior. Help us, Lord, to be indwelled of your Spirit. Thank you for the gift and the promise you've given. Now fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to continue to grow in you that we might honor and glorify you and give you praise in your name. Amen.